My name is Macy Fodnerecht. Uh, my wife and I have been going to Oakwood since 2012, so it's been about 11 years now. I was born and raised in a Christian home. Both my parents were Christians. My uh, parents were both heavily involved in the church. So my life was very centered around going to church, being involved at church, uh, Jesus being the center of my life. I had it very easy growing up in terms of my faith in Christianity. I never lacked someone to talk to about Jesus when I had questions, when I had doubts, when I had anything going on, I had somewhere to turn. So I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior fairly young. I was roughly five or six years old. And again, my parents had invested pretty heavily in teaching me about Jesus and I wanted to have him be the center of my life, even from a young age. So my faith story growing up was really smooth sailing. Uh, even when I ran into issues um, with my faith, it was pretty simple to get them sorted out with the support of my family and friends. And that made the first part of my faith story and my testimony really easy. Um, but for some reason, because it was so smooth and easy for me growing up, I invented my own issues as I got older. When I was probably about 17 or 18 years old, I became fixated on when I sin, I need to be punished because I know better. Uh, someone who hasn't grown up in a faith-based community, if they are not following the teachings of Jesus and are sinning, they may not know any better, but I do. And because of that, I decided that I needed to be punished in some way. And my response to that was I started self-harming. So when I would sin in any major way, um, as a teenage boy, things like pornography were uh, an issue that I was tempted by. So if I would give in to that temptation, I decided that I needed to be punished by drawing blood or burning myself. So I would either take a razor or a piece of metal and heat it up and take out that punishment on myself. Um, I was still uh, invested in my faith and was still struggling with it. And I would again struggle with why I would still sin when I knew better. Um, but I stayed invested in my faith and eventually came to realize that by doing what I was doing when I would sin, God revealed to me that I was undermining what he had already done for me. I was trying to do what he had already completed for me. He had already taken the punishment. He had already sacrificed himself. And by doing what I was doing, I was almost trying to undermine God's glory. And that's, of course, never okay. Um, and when I came to that realization was when I was able to break that cycle of self-harm. And that's when I truly accepted that Jesus has paid the price for me. He has washed away all the sins that I've committed, all the ones that I will commit in the future. He has paid the price and saved me. Man, appreciate that.
Appreciate that testimony from Brother Macy. Um, man, hopefully you can relate to that. And if you're wondering kind of what we've been doing as a church this summer, we have just been uh, seeing testimonies of those that, that are right here in the fellowship amongst our church body. Um, and they're God stories. They're stories of redemption and what God has brought them through. And hopefully uh, this is an encouragement to you. I know several of you have, uh, have kind of given me some feedback that, man, I could really relate to so-and-so's story. And this one really spoke to me. And um, I just want to encourage you, God will never waste your story. Like God wants to use the, the redemptive work that he has done in your life. He wants to use that for his greater purpose, for his uh, greater glory. And you don't know how you just sharing your God story with someone could maybe help them turn toward God. Or maybe for someone to turn back toward God that is strayed. And so just want to encourage you as we uh, continue in this series to, to be able to do that, to share your testimony and to always be prepared. The first week we talked about that, that we need to, as Christians, always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that we have and to be able to share that with others. And not only, this isn't only for God's churches, this is to be shared at work and on the ball field and as you travel and just everywhere you go, that you would be able to share what God has done in your life. And, and you will just be amazed at the work that God will do with that. So, hey, it is almost 4th of July, as Alan said. So happy early uh, 4th of July. Uh, glad that you made it a priority uh, to be here on, on this Sunday. And uh, just pray that you and your family have a great and safe, uh, happy uh, 4th of July this week. And I, I know I, I just wanted to echo also what Alan said about um, just the... Uh, uh, the participation of the children's ministry stepping up at the last moment and pulling off church camp was, man, just so encouraging to see. Um, and I was just, you know, I'm always impressed by our staff and just their willingness to serve, their willingness to, to pivot at the last second and to, uh, you know, sometimes make lemonade out of lemons. And so I uh, appreciate that. Also just deeply and sincerely appreciate uh, Shane and Shayla uh, being with us this morning. Uh, some of you that are Oakwood oldies might remember them. They, they did lead worship here for uh, quite a stint as we were between worship leaders at one point and just always enjoy having them. I don't know if you caught this as you were watching Macy share his story, but there was this point in there in which he said, you know, I, I got so frustrated with my sin that I began to self-harm that I felt like I needed to pay the price for my sin, that, that I needed to atone for it. And then he realizes out of that that, no, actually, Jesus paid it all. But he brings up this, this struggle that I wonder if you, and most of you in this room probably are Christians, that you as a Christian are really frustrated with. Have you, ever, have you ever gotten to this point where you're like, man, I need to turn away from sin. I need to stop sinning. I need to stop moving this direction in my life. And you get frustrated. And you're like, man, I, can't, I, I know this is a destructive pattern in my life. And yet I just keep walking right back to it. And, and man, I know that God is, I mean, the Bible says all over that, that God has saved me from, from death. He has saved me from sinfulness. He saved me from, 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 for eternal life with him in heaven. Why do I keep going back to this old life? Well, this morning I pray that though it may be one of those times where we feel like Scripture steps on our toes a little bit, it's also a time of encouragement because I want you to know this morning that you can be righteous. I want you to hear me say this morning that it is possible for you to live a holy life, and it is possible... For you to turn away from your life of sin 
and to turn to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to walk in holiness and faithfulness and righteousness. It is possible. Now, if you are outside of Christ this morning and you're trying to do this on your own, it is impossible. You'll never be good enough. You can never be try hard enough. You need the power, the saving power of the blood of Jesus Christ to overcome sin in your life. And for those of us that are Christians, we may say, yes, and I have that, and it is awesome. And welcome to the family of God, right? And welcome to all the benefits of having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But if we're honest this morning, some of us struggle with sin. And it's frustrating. And it's frustrating because I felt it in Macy's testimony. There's this battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. Between me wanting to sin and me wanting to live for God. And what do we do about that? How, how can we figure this out? If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 this morning. Now, I also want to encourage you that if you have your phone, your tablet, an iPad, you can download the Oakwood app. Just search Oakwood Enid in your app store. You can download the app, and if you open up the app and you go to sermon notes, then all the scriptures and all the bullet points and everything will be there for you this morning. The win this morning in this hour is that you would hear from God. That God would speak into your heart and mind. There have been people praying about that for a week. There have been people praying about that this morning. And so allow the Lord to speak to you this morning. Now, I will also say this. We're going to read a lot of scripture. What that means is that it's a really good sermon when you hear lots of scripture, okay? So you get to hear from God more than me, and that's always a win. So Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, this is the Apostle Paul, and this is going to kind of set the stage for what we're talking about today as we, we're trying to figure out what do we do with this battle between sinfulness and godliness in our lives, and this is what it says. Paul writes to the Roman Christians and the, the Christian church in Rome, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? So that grace may increase? That's, some, that's sometimes the philosophy of, of some Christians, you know. It's, hey, more sin, more grace. It's a beautiful thing, right? So I can just keep on sinning and, you know, just keep asking for forgiveness. And I know it sounds like I'm taking, you know, the sacrifice of the Son of God for granted. But, oh, you know, more, more sin, more grace. That's a great thing, right? And what does the Apostle Paul say here, verse 2? He says, by no means. And he yells it with an exclamation point. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was, ra just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Not an old life. Not a life filled with sinfulness and all the patterns before we came to Jesus Christ? All the bad attitudes and all the bad things and, and, and all the bad thoughts and all the sin? That we, we too can live a new life? Verse 5. For if we've been united with him in his death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be what? Be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, 
we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Jesus. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In that same way, brothers and sisters, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now catch this. He says, therefore, because of everything we just talked about, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but you are under grace. The truth this morning is this. True disciples of Jesus do not let sin reign in their life. True disciples of Jesus do not let sin reign in their life. That word reign there, R-E-I-G-N, gives us this sense of authority, influence, or dominion. See, Christians will not allow sin to reign in their life. What did it say there in verse 12 we just read? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And then you skip down to verse 14. He says, for sin shall no longer be your master. Why? Because we're not, we're not mastered by sin. That's not our master. The devil and his ways and his plan for our life and the ways of sinfulness that lead to death, that is not what we're pursuing anymore. No, we're not. As God's People, as children of Almighty God, with Jesus paying the price, the atonement for our sins, we can leave our life of sin. And we can repent and turn to God. And sin is no longer our master, it says there. Now, I, I want you to hear this loud and clear this morning. I'm not saying that when you are a Christian that you never, ever sin again. I wish I could say that, but I have not experienced that with any of my Christian brothers and sisters. I have seen lives change, though. I have seen drastic change where you thought, man, this, this guy is headed the wrong direction. He's headed straight to hell. I mean, you can just see it in all the fruit of his life and his lifestyle. And then they meet Jesus. And there's this sweet change that happens. There's this repentance. I mean, they're a completely different person now. Their attitudes change. Their actions change. It doesn't mean that we'll never, ever sin again. But it means that we're not characterized or giving dominion over to, or allowing sin to reign in our lives anymore, but we're seeing sin on the decrease and holiness and righteousness and Christ-likeness on the increase in our lives. This is a process called sanctification that we walk out as Christians. And so here, that if you're here this morning, you're like, man, but I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, but I still struggle sometimes well, we'll just continue reading because the Apostle Paul is going to tell us even more about that. But we also need to acknowledge here that there is a sin problem and that we need to make sure sin is not our master, but that Jesus is our master. This goes all over Scripture, all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Do you remember the story of Cain and Abel? Right before Cain kills Abel, God 
says this to him. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Man, what a warning from God. Sin is crouching at your door. It wants to have you, wants to have ownership and dominion in your life, but you must master it. All the way back to Genesis chapter 4. But then we get toward the end of the New Testament in 1 John. Let me just read some passages from 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 says this. This is the message that we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You can live a righteous and holy life. You can have sin diminished in your life if you walk in the light with Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Whoever says, I know him. Now, (laughs) does that remind you of a Christmas movie, anybody? That line, I know him. You remember Elf? And you see Santa Claus, and he's like, I know him. I know him. Every time I read this verse, that's what I think of. It says, whoever says, I know him. But it's talking about God, not Santa Claus here. He says, whoever says, oh, I know him. I know him. But does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anybody obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete. That's what we want is completion, right? It's truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him, talking about Jesus, must live as Jesus did. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him, in Jesus, there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Man, I can totally relate to that because I remember at 12 years old when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I remember even with the sin struggles of a 12-year-old, it bothered me way, way more. As the Holy Spirit's presence was in my life, I felt even more convicted of my sin. It pushed me more and more to living a righteous life and to repenting of my sin and turning away from it and putting it away and moving beyond it. 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. He's not even just just saying about keeping the the laws of God. He's saying just just Christian love and practice is someone who doesn't love their brother and and sister. Is not someone who is following God's ways and God's laws. And then we get to the end of 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. He says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. They don't stay in this habitual sin pattern. The one who was born of God keeps them safe. That one is a capital O there, talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He says, the one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot 
harm them. See, sometimes as Christians, we're like, oh, man, well, there's just nothing that I can do. You know, it's just the devil keeps tempting me, and I just keep giving in. And, and you know, Jesus is more powerful than Satan. And the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ is more powerful than any power of darkness that can be in your life. And so when you come to Jesus Christ and you put your faith and your trust in him, and he is your salvation, he also begins this process of making you look more like him. As you're a Christian, you will look more and more like Jesus. And yet... I think this is the problem with Christians in the church today. I wonder sometimes, are Christians more afraid of virtue than they are of sin? Let that just soak in for a minute. Are we as Christians more afraid of holiness than we are of sinfulness? Like sinfulness is just accepted. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just a part of us that, that we are, are, are sinful. But we wouldn't consider that a part of us is holiness and that we should be holy like God is holy. Sometimes I think we're more terrified of holy living than we are of sinful living. And I think this boils down to a wrong attitude that we have as Christians about sin in our lives. Because we give excuses for our sin, and sometimes we feel really good about feeling bad about our sin. Like that's as far as it goes. We're not going to repent of our sin, we're just going to feel good about feeling bad about our sin. And we say things like this. Have you ever had someone say this? Well, I'm only human. I hate that. I can't tell you how many times I've heard Christians say, well, you know, I'm caught in a sin, and not living for God and it's, it's horrible and the effects of it is horrible and I'm caught in this sin pattern. I know it's wrong. Every time I do it, it's like I feel it in my spirit. It, I, it's wrong. And yeah, I, you know, but I'm only human. When we say or we hear a statement like that, it's almost like we say to be human is to sin. If I'm a human, I sin. And we would lean on scriptures like Romans where it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because we know there was only one person in human flesh who didn't sin. It was the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. If we say to be human is to sin and that you know, we can't separate ourselves from it, then, well, that's not actually true because Jesus never sinned and he was 100% human. But you could say, oh, oh, but, well, but he is the Son of God. Well, that's true. But he was human. You go back to the garden. You think about this. God created Adam and Eve, right? As humans, created in God's image and God's likeness. Scripture says that male and female, he created them. And it's not until Genesis chapter 3 that we get into this garden experience where they get tempted and they eat the fruit from the garden. And it's not at that point that they become human. They were human back in Genesis chapter 2 when they were created. And so if they're created human in two and they don't just become human after they sin in three, then you could actually say this, hey, well, I'm just human. Well, maybe humans weren't intended to sin from the beginning. And maybe it was the temptation of the devil. And since that time, the sinful nature that lives in us 
that makes sin, running away from God, such a struggle for so many of us. Now, the beauty of this is that we're going to read more and more here in Romans, where the apostle Paul is going to talk about this more and more. But I want us to be aware of our attitude toward sin, because I find that sometimes we, we just don't have the right attitude toward sinfulness. Some of us just shrug off when we sin as Christians. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make us mourn. It doesn't, it doesn't make us feel like, man, I am so frustrated with the way that I'm living or the words that are coming out of my mouth or the thoughts that are in my mind. So many times we just kind of step up and, you know, you win some, you lose some. I'm only human. You know, there's, there's enough grace to cover that. And there is, truly. Jesus died, and his blood covers all the sins. The sins that you have committed in the past, the sins that you may commit in the future. But all of this attitude towards sinfulness is the fact that True disciples of Jesus don't allow sin to reign in their life. Romans 6 is pointing to this. But there's even more. When we become a fully devoted, lifelong follower of Jesus, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, we are united with Christ, Scripture says, becoming one with the Son who had no sin. The imagery of this in the Bible is the same as marriage. The two become one flesh. So when you come to Jesus Christ, you become one with Jesus Christ. It says you clothe yourself with Christ. You put on Jesus Christ. And you become one with the one that has no sin. And so I hope that's encouraging to you that when you come to the saving grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, when you come to salvation, it should be an encouragement to you that you will be more righteous and that you will be more holy. And it is possible, not on your own, not because of your try harder, but because of the power of Jesus Christ lived out in your life. The problem is sometimes we don't always tap, we don't always tap into that power, right? And some of us would say, okay, I, I, I get it. Because you're already to this point in the message this morning. That you're like, and yet there is this struggle. Right? Do you feel it? It's the struggle. I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to hurt God. I don't want to take the sacrifice of Jesus and all that he suffered. I don't want to take that for granted and just keep on sinning. And You know, I had a great youth minister growing up. And I remember one of the illustrations he gave one time was was that um, it, it was like when we sin habitually and we just keep going back to the sin pattern in our life, it was like nailing Jesus to the cross. He's like, it hurt the Son of God. He died. He was tortured because of your sin. So stop sinning. And yet we just, we just, oh, well, it's just part of, you know, we're cavalier about it. We don't care about it. It is a struggle, though. And I know some of you are here this morning and you're like, this is a struggle for me. I am frustrated because I want to stop sinning. I got this sin over here that just is just, just, just still there with me, and I'm so frustrated, and I want to do good, and I know God has these good works that he's prepared in advance for me to do, Ephesians 2.10, and yet I'm still caught up, and I feel like a wretch of a person, and what am I going to do? You know, am I going to serve the flesh? Am I going to serve the spirit? What am I going to Let's just hear it from the Apostle Paul. If you're in Romans 6, turn over to Romans 8. Verse 5, listen to what he says. 
Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set. Now check out this mindset language in here. They have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, capital S, that's God's Holy Spirit, have their minds set. Okay, there's, there's the, word, the wording again. They're setting their minds on what the Spirit desires. Now go to verse 6. The mind governed. We just went from mindset, right? Mindset on flesh or mindset on spirit. Now it says, the mind governed has dominion over, influence over, is the authority in someone's life. The mind governed by the flesh is death. Because the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, another great verse from Romans. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Do you want death, or do you want life and peace? Life and peace, right? That sounds like a way better proposition here. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So if you're outside of Jesus Christ this morning and you're trying to live a righteous life, you can't. It says it right here. You need Jesus. 110%. You need Jesus. Those who are in the realm of the flesh, they cannot please God. You try to please God because I want to be a good person. You cannot please God without Jesus Christ. Now, if you're there in 8, verse 8, now flip over to Romans 7. Verse 15. Again, I told you lots of scripture this morning. Romans 7, 15. Here's the Apostle Paul, and here's where he's just going to lay it out for us, okay? See if you can relate to this. I do not understand what I do. He is frustrated. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Why? Why is God's law Good is because it shows us the way he intends for us to live, and it shows us where we fall short and need grace and need Jesus, right? So I agree that the law is good. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is this sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. There's a desire in me that wants to do the right thing. To do what is good. But I cannot carry it out. For I do not do good that I want to do. But the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is this sin living in me that does it. Do you get it? It's frustrating. He's trying to walk out the Christian life. But then he gives us a summary statement. So if you're confused about the things I do, I do not want to do, and the things I want to do, I don't do, and, and he's, okay, here it is, the summary statement, verse 21. So I find this rule of law at work in my life. Although I want to do good because I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, evil is right there with me. The devil keeps coming after me. He is crouching at my door. Verse 22, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, and I want to live up to it. But I see this other law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within me. Then he gets to verse 24. This is how I feel sometimes. I'm so frustrated with myself. What a wretched man I am. Anyone relate to that? What a wretch I am. I am a shambles as a Christian. I am not a good representation of Jesus Christ. 
What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body of sin? Is there any hope? Who, who can rescue me? What a wretch I am. This is the Apostle Paul. He writes most of the New Testament. Then he gives us verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me. God delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer is we need more of Jesus and less of this world. More of Jesus and less of this world in our lives, in our hearts. What we consume, we need more of Jesus and less of this world because here's the truth. Purity paves the way to intimacy with God. The fact that it's a holiday weekend and that you're here probably points to the fact that you want to be closer to God. Because you could have slept in or been at the lake, I mean, a million different things. I know some of you got the third and the fourth off. Good for you. Not jealous at all. Purity paves the way to intimacy. Why? Because sin separates us from God. Sin is an affront to God. Sin means that we miss the mark of hitting where God wants us to live in God's law. And so when we pursue purity of mind and of heart and of life and we try to follow God's law, then it paves the way of this exclusive relationship that we ourselves can only have with God, this intimacy with God. That as we're not perfect, but we're pursuing this purity with God, that God is with us. That as we see the increase of our life of not pursuing sin, not pursuing worldliness or worldly pleasures, we seek a relationship with God and more of Jesus and more purity. When we seek the sinfulness and the ways of the world, it moves us away from God. It's because sin separates us from God. And when we repent of those sins and turn away from them and we start moving immediately toward God, then we are closer to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because purity paves the way to intimacy with God. And here's the thing is, what you don't know, you probably know this, but maybe you haven't ever thought of it and put it into these terms, is what you don't know is that this intimacy that you want to have with God, it's innate in you. It's just there. You desire to be close to God with all that you are. And sin just gets in the way of that closeness that you want with God. So how do we, how do we deal with this? Apostle Paul says, more Jesus. Thanks be to God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because he is the only way that we have any hope of living a life and turning our back on sinfulness. But I want to give you, I want to end the sermon this morning with just six practical ways to win this battle with sinfulness. The first one is this. You need to have convictions before the crisis moment. When temptation comes your way, you need to know where you stand before the crisis moment, before the crisis of belief. Have convictions. Know where you stand. What does that mean? You have to know Scripture. You have to know the Holy Word of God. Know where you stand. Actually, don't know where you stand. Know where God stands. And line your life up with where God stands. And you'll be blessed for it. Second thing this morning is remember that true commitment involves your loyalty. You say, oh, I'm committed to Christ, but I'm not loyal to him. I know sometimes I'm a guy. I love sports, and so I use sports analogies way too much. But this makes total sense, okay? 
If you're a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs, then you are highly favored and blessed, okay? <laughs> and you're my friend. So, But if you say, well, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan, but you wear Denver Broncos shirts, then what would you say? Based on that, I am not a Chiefs fan. I'm a Broncos fan, right? And yet we do this. Some of us are like, oh, I am on Jesus' team. I love God. I'm on his team. But you wear the devil's T-shirt. Because you put on sinfulness and you pursue his ideas and his ideology and his direction in your life. And people look at you and say, well, you're not on Jesus' team. You're on the devil's team. <laughs> you're wearing the T-shirt. I think you get what I mean. True commitment involves loyalty. Where does your true loyalty in your heart lie? Does it lie with the one who sacrificed his life for you? Third thing. Have the sense to avoid the source. Have the sense, Christians, to avoid the source. Don't even think about going there if it's a tempting situation. If you have a problem with drinking and you can't control yourself around alcohol, don't go to the bar on dollar night. Don't put yourself in those circumstances. If you're having a problem with your mind or your heart being led away from your spouse because of this friend at work, don't go to the office of the friend at work anymore. Have sense to avoid the source. Don't put yourself in the situation. I know temptation takes on many forms. I know sometimes there's like surprise temptation. You didn't even see it coming. You're like, whoa, I'm being tempted right now. And then there's other times where it's like sustained temptation. It just keeps coming at you day after day after day. All I'm saying is be smart about this. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't open and crack the door open to him. Romans 13, 14 says this, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. We're not even going to think about it. I'm not even going to give it mind time. If I feel like my mind or my body or my heart is being led in a direction that I know is not right and temptation is coming my way, I'm going to go the other direction. I'm going to have the sense to avoid the source of that temptation. Fourth thing, don't allow your heart and mind to become numb to sin. Because the world we're growing up in right now, the numbing process starts very young. Just throw them on your iPhone and let them watch TikTok. Throw them on your iPhone, let them watch the videos. Let the media, let the worldliness just start pouring in. Some of us, we admit, well, we didn't have that as kids, you know. We read Bambi, you know, with the little deer and Thumper, and, you know, we were, we were innocent. And, and yet, isn't it amazing that even as we age as adults, that we feel like we have enough corruption in our heart to last a lifetime because of what we've consumed and what we've allowed in? Don't allow your heart and your mind to become numb, to send a bombardment of the culture. just wants to numb us to where it doesn't even feel bad. It doesn't even bother me to sin anymore. Things I never dreamed I would say or do. Thoughts I never thought I would think. And yet, huh, they're the norm. Numbness. No, turn your vision back to the nails that Jesus took for you. And don't allow Satan or this world to distort truth in your life. Fifth thing, know that retreat is better than defeat. Apostle Paul says it this way. Flee from sexual immorality. Any other sin a man commits, he commits he commits outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And why that's a big deal to Paul is because he believed your body was the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit resides in your life, do not unite God's temple in sexual immorality. 
You remember the story of Joseph, Potiphar's wife, trying to seduce him? And you remember what happens, what literally happens? He loses his coat. She's trying to grab him and take him to bed. He decides, I'm going to flee from this situation because I know nothing good's going to come out of it. She grabs his coat, and Joseph decided right there, hey, it is better to be without my coat than to be without my character. I'm going to flee from this situation. Know that retreat is better than defeat. And sometimes, folks, you need to put the phone away, get out of the situation, run for the hills, run to Jesus. Last thing this morning. Have some solid Christian friends for accountability. The Christian life is not meant to be run solo. Muhammad Ali was at the peak of his boxing career, and he thought he was pretty hot stuff. And he got on an airplane one time, and stewardess got to that point, you know, before they take off where you need to put your tray tails in the full upright position. You need to put your seatbelt on. And she's going down the aisle, and she's checking the seatbelts, and there's Muhammad Ali. And he didn't have a seatbelt on. Stewardess said, sir, can you? Put your seatbelt on, and he cracks a smile, looks at the steward, and says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she goes, Sir, Superman don't need no plane. Put your seatbelt on. <laughs> we think we're a solo act. But 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us, Satan prowls like a roaring lion, seeking who he will devour. How do lions hunt? They wait over in the brush until that one dumb antelope, right? You've seen it a million times. The dumb antelope goes off by itself, and then the lion attacks. Don't go solo act with your Christianity. Find some good Christian friends and be held accountable. Because here's the fact. God wants you to overcome sin in your life. And he didn't say, oh, just try harder and do it on your own. No, he said, I am giving you the power to do it because I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, to be a sacrifice for your sins. And because of that, you can be a holy and righteous person. You can live a holy life because the blood of Jesus covers your sins. This morning, what's amazing is right now, you can pray to God. You say, God, please forgive me my sins. And you confess those sins to God. You lay them out. It says if you confess your sins before God, that God is faithful. And he will purify you from all unrighteousness. And he'll forgive your sins. He'll set you on the right path. And your job is that you need to repent. That's your job. You need to repent. It means you got to go God's direction. You're going your own direction. You repent. You go a different direction in life. You turn your back on sin. And you move God's direction. Because he loves you. Not only that, folks. He paid the price. His blood is the atonement for your sin. In Macy's testimony, he said, I realized when I got into this legalism that I needed to, to pay a price for my sin, that I was actually taking God's glory because Jesus already did that for me. He already took on all the punishment for my sin. And so we understand that it is possible to turn your back on sin. It's possible to make it a positive change in your life. It's possible to be a holy people. But you do that through the blood of Jesus Christ.